Well, as we come into John chapter 12, verse 20, we come to the final discourse to the people that Christ gives. We have multiple discourses that are given through the Gospels. This is the final discourse to the common people. Christ is going to go and have intimate conversation with his disciples to make them aware of all the things that are going to happen, all the things that are going to come to be. But he's really speaking to this group of people, and I want to draw your attention into this. The Bible says there, verse 20, it says, And there came certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The one thing that I realize when I see a group of people gathering, I realize that God is the one that has written the story. God has a purpose for every one of these Greeks that have come to hear. But I want us to think that you and I are born for this hour. We see a lot of things happening in the world, but we're born for this hour. This is by sovereign design. This is why God has created us at this time. This is our time. And when we look at the word of God here, we can rest assured that as Christ comes to that final discourse to the people in general, what we find is he's still speaking the truth. And so when you look here again, verse 21, the same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, and Jesus answered them saying now this is very interesting the hour is come the whole purpose of christ's life was to come to this hour of the cross the whole purpose of every truly born again christian is to realize that the cross is very significant to us without the cross there is no salvation and the whole purpose of christ's life was to come to the cross and now he speaks here the hour is come how many times did they try to make him king and he'd walk away? How many times did they try to kill him and yet he walked away? But now we look here in the word of God and he, Jesus says the hour is come, the purpose that the son of man should be glorified. Now you and I, when we look at the account of Christ, knowing that he's coming to a Roman cross to die a Roman death, but the reality of that is the father is the one whom will put Christ upon the cross. The Father is the one whom will crush, crush Christ at the cross of Calvary. God the Father is going to do this with one purpose, to redeem a people for himself. You know, the only way that he would be able to redeem sinners is by sending the sinless Christ, the Messiah, into the world to be the final sacrifice for us. And so when we look at the word of God here, Christ knew the hour has come. He knew that it was time for him to go to the cross. He knew that he only had a short time ahead of him. But the hour has come that the Son of Man, Christ, should be glorified. And the one thing we do know is that when Christ came, he knew the purpose of his life. He was coming to redeem sinners such as we. He was coming to pay a death that no man could pay but God incarnate in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The most bloody sacrifice that God had ever brought. The most holy sacrifice upon a Roman cross to die a death for us. But our victory is not in the death as much as it is in the resurrection. 
But without the death, there would be no resurrection. So all of these things have a purpose. That also includes your very life. Your life has a purpose to God. God has given you life. Every moment that you breathe, it's God-given. There's nothing you do for yourself. It is God that does these things. God wants us to be absolutely worshiping him in every area of our life. And when we think about the perfect sacrifice, it was the sinless son of God. When Christ went to the cross, he had no sin of his own. But he was going to bear the sin of many. And that is very important to a child of God to realize that Christ Jesus the Lord has bore my sin at Calvary, has paid my debt in full, have washed my sins away, for I am absolutely 100% forgiven and justified by God through Christ. And so when we look at a scripture verse like this, we realize that we're seeing a fulfillment of prophecy, a fulfillment of all the prophets that spoke of Christ in the Old Testament, a fulfillment before our eyes. And yet only those with eyes to see and ears to hear can comprehend and understand the cross of Calvary. And so the Bible says again in verse 24, verily, verily, now when we look at our word verily, verily, that could be amen, amen, truly, truly, definitely English equivalents to that. And so he says, verily, verily, I say unto you. Now he's speaking to a group of people. When you read the word of God, he's speaking to you. But not everybody has eyes to see and ears to hear. Not everybody comprehends what the Word of God states. But the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He gives us the understanding we need to know who Christ is. He's the one that has regenerated us, where we have been born again or born from above, as John 3 speaks. Barely, barely, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. Now when we look here, we're talking about Christ speaking of the cross of Calvary. And so when we look at the scripture here very clearly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. Was it really important for Christ to die for us? Absolutely. If Christ did not die for us, he would be an insufficient savior. But because he has died for us, he came to lay his life down for the sheep. You see that in John chapter 10. He had one purpose before him, to honor and glorify God, and he knew that his life was going to be the perfect sacrifice of all the five sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, pointing to the final sacrifice of Christ himself, the God-man, the incarnate, to go upon that cross and die that death with no sin of his own, but to die that death at Calvary, to bear the sin of everyone that will ever believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what he was. He was a sin bearer. He was a redeemer. He has bought us back, but he bought us back with a price. He laid his life down for us. And so the analogy that you find here is Christ speaking of his death upon a cross. Today, if you stand true to the cross of Jesus Christ, you will be mocked and you will be laughed at. No one believes that God, any God, would ever send his only son to be a savior of any wicked man. But the reality of it is that is exactly the purpose of his life. He came to die for us. He had one purpose in mind, to redeem a people unto his father. 
all of them that the Father gave him, he would redeem them. The Lamb's Book of Life was written before the foundation of the world. So if you are born again here today, you can rest assured your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. The redemption was accomplished by God before the foundation of the world. We're living out what God has already ordained to come to be. So when we look around our world today, we realize the only thing that truly matters is the cross of Jesus Christ, that God sent his only begotten son to be a savior of them that would believe, that he would die upon this cross with one purpose, to redeem a people unto himself. So when we look at our word redeemer, when we look at our word Messiah, when we look at our word Christ, which means the anointed one, that it was God sending his only begotten son with a love that we cannot understand to redeem a sinner from the wickedness of his heart, to give him a new heart that we call the new covenant believer that the book of Hebrews talks quite often about. So when I look at the scripture here in Christ speaking, except a corn of wheat, fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But Christ is a much different redeemer, is he not? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I think about Christ going to that cross to die for me, to shed his precious blood for me, as absolutely sinless, the God-man going upon a cross, being crucified by his own creation, as they mocked him and laughed at him, ripped his beard out of his face, whipped him and did all these things to him, yet he was enduring all that for us, that we would have eternal life and we would have it with Christ. And so when I look at the scripture, not everyone that's listening to this has eyes to see, ears to hear. Not the audience does not understand everything that he's saying. No different than if I go into a prison and I have a hundred and some men before me and I speak the gospel, I know in my heart, not everyone is going to understand what I have to say. Not everyone is going to see the Christ that I'm trying to betray. I know apart from the Holy Spirit, no one sees nothing, no one hears nothing, and no heart is ever moved. The Holy Spirit must move upon each and every heart that comes to Christ. It's called regeneration. It's called being born again or born from above because a man received nothing except to be given to him from heaven. I mean, that's what the Bible says. So when Christ is speaking here, people that listen to this, not all of them have ears to hear. Not all of them understand. Absolutely not. But there are some that understand. There are some that come to that understanding. And that is a great work of God. That is the power of God unto salvation. That is God so working upon the will of man to turn his will unto himself. Only God can do such a thing. And when God does that, he begins a good work and he finishes the good work. And so when we look at the scripture here, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now when I look at the book of Matthew, the Bible says, how do we know them, Lord? And he says, you'll know them by their fruit. You know a Christian by the fruit of their life. That fruit of righteousness. That fruit of obedience. That fruit of loving Christ above all things, that is a work and a grace of the Holy Spirit. That is a work and a grace of God himself. And so when we look at the scripture here, it's very interesting. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now you and I know that when Christ went to that cross and he died that death, Praise be to God, he rose again the third day from the dead. Amen? And because he rose again the third day from the dead for me, that means that when I die, I rise again too. I do it in Christ because he has done it for me. He has bought me, purchased me, justified me, washed my sins away. I am forgiven in the blood of Christ that was shed at Calvary 
for me with a purpose by God to redeem my soul and to bring me into the kingdom of God. We call it being adopted into the family of God, adopted into that great story that God has written all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament, that story of redemption. We are in the story because God put us in the story by adoption. And so when we look at the word of God, this Christ that is speaking to us here today, no different than he was at that time, hopefully you have eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive that what Christ is speaking of is his own death and his own resurrection. And that he's going to bring much fruit because people are going to repent and believe upon Christ and they're going to come into the kingdom of God and they're going to be moved with a heart for Christ. And you and I, if we are truly born again, I hope that your heart is moved for Christ. I hope when you see the whole political system unravel and shatter before your eyes as you're seeing today, that your focus will not be upon the government, it will be upon Christ. My hope is not upon the government. Government does not take care of me. Christ takes care of me. God takes care of me. Because that's what the Bible says. My confidence cannot be there. It must be in Christ. And when we look here, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why is that? Because he is my life. He's my all in all. He's the purpose of my life. And so when Christ is speaking here, praise God, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you know that he's speaking and signifying his own death that he's about to endure. The hour has come. He's going to come and pay that debt for us. And so when we look here, he says in verse 25, he that loveth his life shall lose it. You look around, you see people living their life today, and they think they're living it for their own self-glory. They don't have no accountability before no one, and they're going to just live their life any way they want to do it, and nobody's going to tell them what to do. But in the end, their creator that made them in the image of God himself will definitely be the final judge and the final say where you end up for all eternity. We live in this world for 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it may be, and then we're dead. And then we have an eternity of billions of years ahead of us. Your soul will never die. No matter who you are, your soul will never die. That's very important to understand that. Every one of you have a soul. And every one of you, your soul will never die. Your soul is going to live for eternity. Whether it is in Christ or whether it is outside of Christ. Your soul will live for eternity. Because that's what the Bible says. So when we look here, it says, He that loveth this life shall lose it. I mean, when we look around and we see our life and you see people that seem to be prospering in this life, doing very well, everything goes well for them, they have everything they could ever want, all is well in Zion, but God says, it's not well, you don't want to be like them, the end is utter destruction. And so when Christ is speaking here, he says, he that loveth his life shall lose it, but he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it, what's he say, unto life eternal. Now, I don't know about you, but... When we look around and we see the world the way it is, I don't know about you, but I just can't wait till God sets his kingdom up. Amen? When the king, the true king, Christ himself, comes, and we're going to forever be with him, he reigns upon this world for a thousand years. He's going to rule from Jerusalem. People from all over the world are going to come to worship him. In that millennial kingdom of Christ that the word of God speaks of, vitally important, I believe. And so when we look here, what does he say? He that loveth his life shall lose it. We, we don't want to keep our life. We want to be found in Christ at the end of our journey. We want to be a faithful, obedient servant. We understand that, I hope. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Because our focus is not today. Our focus is eternal. 
Jonathan Edwards, take eternity and stamp it upon your eyeballs. I live my life for eternity. I know that one day I shall die. I know that God has a day ordained for my death. And I know I don't die until that day. And I know that with the life that I have, I want to glorify him. I want others to come to Christ. I want others to see this Savior and what he has done for us. How he has went to that cross willingly, laid down his life for us, and shed his blood for us, that we would have eternal life. And that is what the Bible speaks of here, life eternal. That life eternal is eternal life in Christ alone. Christ said, Jesus Christ is what? Eternal life. How do we know that? Because the word of God is very clear. Jesus Christ is eternal life. So when I talk about having eternal life, that means that I know Christ and he knows me. That means that Christ has done a holy work in my heart, changed my life forever, given me a new heart, and I am justified before God, the creator and sustainer of all the world. How do I know that? Because that's what the Word of God says. That's what the Bible says. And you and I, that have the Holy Spirit, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the Word of God. This is God that is speaking to us. This is Him, not the words of men, not the ideas or ideologies of men. This is the Word of God. And so when you look here in the Scripture, Christ makes it very clear. He says, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Now I want you to think about that. What does God want most of us? He wants us to serve him. Now, I want you to know there's two slaves in this world, slave of righteousness or slave of sin. Either way, you're a slave. Call it what you will. That is the word of God. That is what our word servant means. We know that to be true. And so when we look at the scripture here, if any man will serve me, let him follow me. How do I serve Christ? I follow Christ. What does that mean? Does that mean when the world turns upside down, I still follow Christ? Absolutely, I follow Christ. I'm not afraid of men. I'm not afraid of government. I'm afraid of God. <laughs> I mean, that's the fear of God. The fear of God keeps you from sin. If we don't fear God, we'll sin and continue in it. But the fear of God has a way of taking us away from sin because we know the consequences of sin. And we know that Christ has paid our debt to everyone that has ever been truly born again. So if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. I mean, I don't know about you, but Christ said there in the upper room discourse in John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I mean, I have a kingdom and I'm going to go be with Christ one day. How do I know that? He's already prepared a place for me. Why is that? Because that's what he said, and Christ never lied to me. He always tells me the truth. When I look at the Word of God, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to say, well, I believe all these things, and then when it gets really tough, then I say, well, you know, I don't really believe all those things. No, I really do believe this is the Word of God. I do believe that everything God says in here is absolute. I believe in absolute truth, and absolute truth is the embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no truth outside of Christ. There is no other way to God outside of Christ. Very inclusive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No other name given under heaven. I'm it. That's what the Bible says, and therefore I believe it. Well, you're being a bigot. Absolutely not. If God said it in the Word, it's absolute, because God has never lied to me. Everything God has spoken to me in this book is true. The new heart that he has given me is true. The new creation that I am is true. I'm not who I once was. Radically transformed, radically converted, set out for the glory of God. Even when things get tough, I know Christ is still King. I know he's my Lord and Savior. I know that he is the one that empowers me, enables me to do all things. I know that. I know I miss the mark each and every day. So I live a life of repentance before God. A life of repentance. 
Because blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. God comforts us day by day, moment by moment, resting and trusting in him, knowing that he is our Savior, our Lord, our God. And so when you look here, Christ speaking, he says again, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there also my servant be. Now think about that for a minute. Talk about the omnipresence of Christ. Is Christ a sovereign Savior? Absolutely. What does that mean? The omnipresence of Christ means no matter where I'm at, Christ is there. People that suffer with anxiety and fear and all these things, just remember, if you are Christ, he is there. He may not take you away from your situation, but he'll be with you through it because that's how faithful he is. Faithful is he, for he is the one that has called us. That's what your Bible says. When you think about being sealed by the Holy Spirit, that God, the Holy Spirit, has come in and sealed our heart, that we are the temple of God, that we have been given eternal life, and that we know these things to be true. And so when we see Christ speaking to us, praise God, I hope you have ears to hear, hope you have eyes to see, I hope you have a heart to perceive the truth that's being spoken here by Christ himself, because many of these people that are listening to him at this moment, they do not know, they do not understand, but there are some, there are few that will understand and will comprehend. And so he says, he that loveth me, his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And then he says, if any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my my servant be. And if any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now I want you to know the only way to live this life is to serve Christ. The only way to live this life is to follow Christ. There is no other way. There's no other option. God doesn't say, well, if you don't feel like it today, it's okay. No, God demands it. Listen to me. When I look at the word of God, I believe God absolutely demands everything he says in the word of God. He doesn't look at us and say, well, you know, if you don't feel like it today, I understand. I mean, you are a sinner. Absolutely not. God commands us to follow him in every moment of our life. God is not playing games with his creatures. Remember, the Bible says in the Old Testament, what? He says the souls of all men are mine. What does that mean? He can do with them any way he wants to. doesn't bother him a bit. A man can say, well, God's being unfair. You don't know what unfair is. Because if God wasn't, if you call him unfair, as I hear this quite often in different conversations, listen to me, if God is unfair, the fairness of God would mean we're all damned. But by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone, we're saved because God does it. He begins a good work and he finishes a good work. And so when you look at the word of God here, he says again, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be. And if any man serve me, him will my father honor. So you and I, if we are serving Christ with all our life, heart, and mind, then you can rest assured God the Father is honored by your obedience to his Son, his only begotten Son, whom he sent to be a Savior of the world, especially to them that believe. And so when you look here again, verse 27, but now Jesus speaking, he says, now is my soul troubled. Isn't that something? The Son of Man, the incarnate God, as we would say. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. I mean, this is Christ speaking. You know what he's showing here? He's demonstrating absolute obedience to the Father. Remember, Jesus didn't perform one miracle except the Father said perform it. You have to understand that. Jesus didn't speak one word except the Father gave him the word to speak. So when I look at the word of God here, this is the words the Father gave the Son to say because he did everything in absolute submission. And you know what? That submission is what he demands of us. Absolute submission. In every area of your life, even when we're weak and beaten, absolute submission. 
We could call it absolute surrender. But when we look at the word of God here, look how he says this. I want you to see it. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this cause came I unto this hour. The purpose of my life was to come to the cross. That is why I came. I was born of the Virgin Mary, just like the word of God says. I lived that life for 33 and a half years. But my whole purpose, my whole focus was I'm going to that cross. And the Father's going to crush me at the cross. Because I'm going to redeem every one of them whom the Father hath given me. And every name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for them. And that's exactly what he did. And so when you look here, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause I came unto this hour. Now I want you to see something here. You have all this audience around them, right? And what happens here? Verse 28. Father, glorify thy name. Now this is very interesting. Father, glorify thy name. Look what he says here. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I, the Father, have glorified it. And we'll glorify it again. Now I want you to think about the audience that's here. They just heard God the Father speak. You'd think they all would have fell down and repented and believed on him, right? The Bible doesn't say that, does it? Look what it says. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said that it thundered. Thundered. You know, we go back in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, when they went to that holy mountain, they heard the thundering of God. First thing I thought of when I see that. But the Bible says here, the people therefore stood by and heard it and said that it thunders. Others said, an angel spake to him. Because they didn't have ears to know it was God speaking to him. They didn't have eyes to see it was God speaking to him. They didn't know. They heard the voice. But except God give you understanding and give you perception to who he's speaking, you and I don't know it either. What does he say? The people, verse 29, therefore stood by and heard it and said that it thunders. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, here comes absolute truth. Jesus answered and said, I mean, these people about, I heard thunder. Must be an angel that spoke to him. But Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at that verse and I think came not because of me, I realize that when Jesus would get along with God, when he was talking to the Father, um, he had amazing prayer time with the Father. Why is that? Because he knew the Father was there. When you pray to Christ, do you know Christ is there? Do you know that he is an intercessor for you? Do you know that he maketh intercession for everyone that's truly his? And do you know that every prayer that Jesus asks for you comes true? Because the Father never denies his prayers. 
And Christ is our intercessor. The Holy Spirit is our intercessor. But when I looked here and I realized, and he said here, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Do you think that God had to make his voice audible for Christ to hear it? Or do you think God's word was always in his heart every moment? I mean, when God, when Jesus spoke, remember, he spoke only the words the Father gave him to speak. Every healing that Christ ever did, it wasn't Jesus decided to heal them. These are the ones that the Father wants me to heal. Jesus never went independent of the Father. Nor should a Christian go independent of Christ. Because it's sin. And so when we look at the word of God here, he says, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. It is the judgment of the world. Now I don't know about you, but when I think about Christ being that holy, perfect sacrifice for me, I am thankful that God sent his only begotten son to die in my, in my stead, to pay my debt, to wash my sins away. To come to a communion table and realize there's a lot more going on here than what we think. This is Christ that came to die for us. This is Christ that has risen from the dead. And we look around and we see all the people that believe, well, if we can rid ourselves of those Christians that actually believe that book, we can take the whole world. That's what the globalists say. No, they're nothing but a bag of fools is what they are. Because this word, God, you can go ahead and kill his preachers, you can kill his people, and God will just raise up more unto himself. How can he do that? He's God. He doesn't need permission of men to do anything. Thank God. But when I look here, what does he say? I want you to see that. Now is judgment of this world. And now shall the prince of this world, Satan, be cast out. I want you to realize that. If you're sitting here today and, you're, and you're, you've never repented of your sins and believed in Christ, it's because Satan has control of you. Satan is your father. He's the darkness. And the world loves itself. The world loves darkness. The world loves what darkness gives them. But you and I as a child of God, we have the light and salt of the earth. We're it. We're the testimony of Christ. We're the few and far between. We're the ambassadors of righteousness. And not because of us, but because of Christ. And so when I look at the scripture here, what does he say? He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Praise God. Christ crushed Satan at the cross. Okay, that's important. So when you look at that next verse there, verse 32, and I, now I want you to know the I is Christ, and I, if I, Christ, be lifted up, look what he says here, from the earth. Now I want you to know we're talking about his death, the crucifixion, the death, but we're also thankful for the resurrection. If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. Notice the italics of all men. Men is not in the original language. I will draw all believers. All the Father gives him shall come to him. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all 
unto me, whom the Father hath given to him. Now, when we look at the word of God here, what I want you to see is that he's speaking here to some that have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to perceive. Because if Christ did not go to that Roman cross, if they did not crucify him on that cross, if he didn't die for us, then his sacrifice would have been insufficient. But because he died for us, and he rose again from the dead the third day, we have been fully justified by a perfect sacrifice for us, for a believer in Christ. That means when the world's spinning today and they're telling us, you watch out, Christians, we're coming for you. We don't believe that Christ is the only way. We believe there are other ways. We would say, absolutely not. There's only one way. Oh, you're hateful. No, I'm not. I speak truth and love. God said that. Who is God? God is love. So God said, my son is the only way. There is no other way. And if you have truly repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. You have Christ, who is eternal life. You have a home waiting in glory. Amen. And you will be there with the rest of us. And we will be part of the choir. And when you get to heaven someday, you're going to sing with the angelic hosts. And what an amazing song it will be. So when we look at the word of God, we know there's only one way, it's Christ. We know there are people we love that will die in their sin. And we know that God is righteous in everything he does with anyone. And when we look at the scripture, and if we believe that with all our heart, then we should have a compassion for dead people. Remember what Jesus said about the dead people? He said what? Let the dead bury their dead. When he called that disciple, come follow me. Oh, I got to go home. I got to take care of things. You know what he was really saying with that? I need to go make sure I get my part of the inheritance. I don't want to lose the money. Jesus said, let the dead, the living dead, bury their dead that's a powerful verse is it not and so when I look at the word of God and I think to myself isn't it amazing to be saved and to know it to know the word of God and know beyond a shadow of a doubt Christ is the only way no other name no other way it is Christ Christ alone and so as the world tries to silence our voice, as the world tells us there's many ways to get to heaven, we tell them there's not. There's only one. And if they, you're mean-spirited, no, God said this, the God that never lies, the God that speaks truth all the time, the God that sent his only begotten son to be a savior, of believers for all eternity. What if you die in your sins? Will it matter to you?